blessing. What an encouragement now after coming here to the end of our service and and hearing uh, this Easter cantata that pointed us towards these great gospel truths of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I want us to rejoice in that together and, and recognize the significance of this day and how it has significance upon our lives every single day after that. So would you say with me, church, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this glorious reality, even too great for us to even fully comprehend, that you sent your son to die for undeserving sinners, that he rose three days later. Oh, Lord, we're thankful for this great gospel truth. We pray now as we consider your word that you would reveal this most significant truth into the hearts of everybody who is here with us. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the other day, my kids were playing a video game, a racing game, called Crash Team Racing. For those of you who've ever played Super Mario Kart back in the day, think of a game like that. It's like a cartoon-type racing game with power-up boosts and all those fun racing gadgets. You know who you are if you've ever played a game like that. My kids were playing that in the living room, and my five-year-old son, Jeremiah, started with a really rather difficult level and wasn't able to win the race. Then his older sister, Anna, seven years old, took the controller and she got a little bit closer, but still no luck. And they went on and on and passed the controller around until they just realized they weren't getting past that level. So of course, what did they do? They called in the big guns. They called in dad from the other room over to the room to help him with this really hard level. You can almost hear the walk-up music as I trotted into the living room like if you were at a Royals game. And here I was, grabbed the controller, buckled up, so to speak, and began the race. And when I got to that third and final lap... I was actually in first place for a good portion of that lap. But then I lost my position at the very end and and fell behind. Second, third place even. We were all on the edge of our seats thinking that I was going to win there. But then we all got really, really nervous thinking that I was going to lose. And this was just going to continue on all day. Nobody wanted that, right? But then at the last minute, I was able to use one of those speed bursts and cross the line and win first place with just milliseconds ahead of the other racer. And the kids and I began to shout. 
and scream, so excited. I couldn't believe it, like a big kid myself. So excited that we did this. We were cheering loudly uh, as their dad barely beat the level. We were celebrating. We were joyful. We were having fun. And our little baby, six-month-old Noah, was sitting there on his oldest sister Mariah's lap. And this poor little guy... And his poor little lower lip. He was first startled, but then his lip began to quiver over and you knew what was coming. The poor kid burst out in tears over all the commotion in that living room. So sad to see a little baby getting upset like that and start crying when you don't mean it. Oh, you feel terrible, right? I mean, you've probably all been there. But listen to this. If you're here with us today and you're not a believer, we're glad that you're here. Even if you've not yet been transformed by the love of God and the grace of the gospel, if you've never grown to live your life and to be transformed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we're glad you're here. Even if you're skeptical and you think that this whole Easter thing is like a fairy tale, And that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is all just a big hoax. Even those of you who are here and you were hearing believers cheer at the top of their lungs about the greatest news that we all hold dear. Those of us who are believers even shouting, can you believe it, at church, he is risen indeed. Even if you're here and you're experiencing that and you're just wondering what's going on, kind of like the cheers of my kids celebrating my big win in that big level. Even if you're like my little baby boy, Noah, on the outside looking in, unsure of what's going on, confused about what all this commotion's about, having a rather different emotional response to the glorious gospel weekend that we as Christians are celebrating, the wonderful realities of his death, burial, and resurrection. You may be here and think that we're all a bit crazy. We might be in some ways. But you might even be irritated about the joy in this room. You might think, well... That might be good for them, but it really has no impact on my life. Here's the thing. For everyone who's here in this room, I don't want anyone here to be on the outside looking in. And though a man over 2,000 years ago living a life and then dying and then three days later raising from the dead may seem ridiculous to unbelievers. And, and I would get that, right? Because 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It makes sense that if you don't see these things with fresh eyes of someone who believes, it makes sense without God's work in your life that this would all be really confusing because nobody has ever seen or heard of a person who died and then three days later rose up from the grave. We've never experienced that in our 
lives. And to unbelievers, I recognize that that sounds like more like a, a make-believe zombie movie that you may have seen on TV than the wonderful good news that Christians rejoice, not only on Easter, but every single day of the year. We're glad you're here at church this morning. And what if I told you that everybody in this room, that there actually is a really good reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What if I told you that rather than the made-up stories of fiction writers, that the account of the resurrection is more historically reliable than you might have thought prior to coming to church this morning? If you're a skeptic or atheist or agnostic or simply spiritually really just indifferent and apathetic about spiritual things, what if I told you, even you, that there is something worth getting up on your feet and cheering about like I was cheering in my living room with my kids, something that would get us even more than that kind of thing excited, even for you. What if I told you that that's a reality that you could experience? Would you even believe it? I want to spend the rest of our short time together quickly diving in to some quick reasons and some quick Easter apologetics, as you see on the screen, for all of us to be able to cheer about. Solid reasons for us to believe that Jesus did rise from the dead. And if, you, and if he did do that, hear this, and you aren't currently cheering in your heart, I believe that this morning may prove to be a turning point in your life. Because if you can see the truthfulness and reality of the resurrection of Jesus, even in this short quick shotgun type sermon, this no huddle, quick apologetic sermon that we're going to just blaze right through. If you can believe that, everything changes for you. I hope you can see that. Because if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, it means Christianity is true. It means it's something to give your life to as other Christians in this room has done. And in case you're wondering what apologetics is, it's simply a defense of the faith, giving reasons for the hope that we have. There are many good books and debates and lectures and things on this topic. Uh, and one book I recently read is by Val Grieve titled Your, The Verdict of the Empty Tomb. Others you may be familiar with uh, are, are that of Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, or even Josh McDowell, Evidence that demands a verdict, and there's more of these things. And, and this sermon is, is influenced by many different resources like that that I've come across in my Christian life. But the first thing I want us to see this morning as it relates to the quick apologetics of Easter is that we can say beyond even a shadow of a doubt, we can say even alongside secular, atheistic, unbelieving historians that a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth not only existed over 2,000 years ago, but that he was punished by crucifixion, and that even his followers, it's recorded by non-believers even, even his followers claimed that he rose from the dead. The Jewish non-Christian historian Josephus, for instance, recorded in his writings that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
and that Jesus' disciples claimed that he appeared to them three days later. This is a fact of history for somebody who is not a Christian, who doesn't believe in the Messiah, but he recorded that these things happened. Jesus existed and he died. And that his followers said that he rose three days later. It's a fact of history. Jesus is not just some make-believe uh, person in the past that a few religious people uh, pointed to. But Jesus, Jesus actually existed. Now, whether you see him as Lord and not, or that he actually resurrected or not, uh, I know that the jury is still out on that. But I just wanted to point to you this historic reality. There were even um, others who were pagan, such as Cornelius Tacitus, that you could even look up, for instance, who wrote about the man Jesus as well and documented that Christians suffered persecution later and even died uh, for the tenacity and fervency of their faith. And did you even know that atheistic writers, in more of a modern sense, also recognized that they can't get past this Reality that Jesus existed? In fact, my friend uh, Nate Taylor, who's a pastor in Utah, and he's participated in many uh, debates with atheists and things in the existence of God, um, he's pointed out numerous occasions that these atheistic non-Christian writers have admitted the reality of Jesus' existence. And in some of their quotes about how certain it is, they almost sound more like a Christian evangelist than they do like an atheist because they're just stating the reality that, that there was a Jesus who existed. Now, they don't believe in him or submit to him as Lord. They, they give Jesus that stiff arm. They don't want anything to, to do with him. But the reality is that there's historic re, uh, credibility that Jesus existed, even that his followers said that he rose from the dead. Nate, my friend, pointed me towards many different unbelievers' quotes along these lines, including this one from a well-known atheist from the 20th century. He's now passed on. His name is Anthony Flew, if you've ever heard of him. He's written voluminously as a scientist and things. But he says that the evidence, this is Anthony, an atheist who doesn't believe in, in God and hasn't submitted to Jesus. He said, the evidence for the resurrection is better than for claimed miracles in any other religion. It's outstanding, this atheist says. It's astound, outstandingly different in quality and quantity. So even from unbelievers recognizing that Jesus exists, but not only do we have these extra-biblical accounts verifying the identity of a person named Jesus of Nazareth, we also have accounts in the New Testament as well, which has much, if you've done any study on the New Testament and manuscript and dating and things of that nature, there's much in terms of authenticity, in terms of originality, that these, these men who walked and lived and knew or knew of Jesus very closely, in the case of Luke, as Luke took down an account of Luke and Acts, that these, these people knew of or were very close to people who knew of Jesus as they are recorded in the four Gospels. You know of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've probably heard that even if you don't go to church a lot. And in the Gospels, you see, we see the raw details of what happened in Jesus' life. And we see multiple accounts that, that they just don't really seem like they were manufactured by a bunch of people looking to spin a really sanitized and clean story to base a religion upon. They just don't if you look at the evidence. What do I mean by that? 
Well, did you know that among the first witnesses, I made mention to that in John when I read earlier, uh, were actually women, were the first ones to recognize of that Jesus had rose from the dead. And in the time uh, of the New Testament in writing, uh, a woman's testimony was not seen like it should be seen, and that is valid and legitimate and things of that nature. But during that time, people would see the testimony of these women as kind of suspect because they were looked down upon during that time, sadly. They would also... So, so when you're getting these accounts, you would think that if they were going to spin some story that they would use different realities than that. And, and the fact that they put forward these things points to the fact that they were recording what actually happened, what they, the actual witnesses put forward. It's also interesting that if these things were fabricated, do you think that they would paint one of the main leaders and apostles, uh, Peter himself, in the kind of negative light that the scriptures paints him. Remember, he, he's doubting, he's denying Jesus. Uh, all these denials are pointed forward. I and mean, he is going to be someone who's going to uh, take the gospel and preach, and people are going to be saved at, at Pentecost, and people are going to be looking to him as a, a main pillar of the church. Do you think that if they were spinning some, some nice religious story, do you think that they would point that out? And even the fact that Jesus, after the resurrection, had to go and confront and address Peter and ask him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that. I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? On three accounts, uh, to, to paint one of their main leaders in a negative light. If it was just some nice, sweet story spun in order to start a religion, why would they do that unless it was true? Also, Paul claims in 1 Corinthians that not only the disciples witnessed Jesus after his resurrection, but he uh, appeared to them in different times after that, and he appeared to almost 500 people at the same time. And then Paul's basically like, you can just ask one of these different people that were witness to the resurrected body of Jesus. You can freely talk to somebody, and you would think that there would be disputes amongst many people during that time that would, that would discredit this whole thing, but we don't have anything like that. Why? Because I believe that Christianity is true. It's not an approach like we see in some cults where an angel supposedly appears to, you know, a man with some special decoder equipment to find this new record of revelation without anybody else seeing it. Christianity is not that way. For indeed, as the apologist Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity is based on truth claims. And that it's prepared to face the consequences of proven false. We want to see counter evidence as Christians, as Schaefer said. We're not interested in this thing if it's not true. And Schaefer goes on to say, he, we are prepared to even say with Paul, if you find the body of Christ, the discussion is finished. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This would all be worthless if it wasn't true. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're not here for mere sentimentalities. We're not here just for community, though there is community. You see, the resurrection is a public, identifiable, and even historically recorded reality. Unlike the cults, like I mentioned, with crazy made-up so-called history, without any eyewitnesses or geographic believability, unlike that, 
the Bible, the New Testament, the resurrection is so much more weighty than that. Not a nice, tidy account. Nothing that stinks of fabrication and elaborately spun material to point everyone and paint everyone in a nice and tidy account. Why is that the case? I ask you, I want you to ask yourself, why? Because it's not made up. It was recorded and they saw and they experienced things that were recorded. It was, according to Schaefer, it was truth that they were putting forward. But here's the thing. Even with all this evidence, skeptics have come up with other solutions. Because the historical evidence of Jesus' existence and the biblical manuscript evidence is so strong, there must be other explanations that atheists and agnostics and unbelievers have to figure out to kind of put this whole Christianity thing on the back burner and to appease their consciences. Like I said, like Schaefer said, it's truth claims that we care about. We care about the truth, so we want to even look at and even present the objections to the resurrections to you, even at a Southern Baptist church. I'm going to tell you what the skeptics are saying if you don't already know. It's indisputable that he existed, so instead they have to discredit the historical figure and make a response that paints him and his followers in a rather negative light. So unbelievers have come up with these explanations and here they are one way that they've gone is to say that it's all made up beforehand and that this historical jesus came together with his disciples and they had this elaborate plan to trick the world they were going to create this religion jesus was going to die and they were going to trick everybody and create christianity But I would ask everybody here, what motives do you think that they would have for doing that? Well, you say, hey, lots of people have made up religion for money and for power in different ways. Maybe that would be their motive. But then I want to ask you another question. Do you think that Jesus' followers would really take a made-up, fraudulent story like that kind of thing to their persecuted martyrdom if they weren't convinced that it was actually true themselves? Peter was afraid, and he ran away. He was afraid as a little girl said, hey, I think that's somebody who knows Jesus. And he takes off. He's like, peace out. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going on. What changes Peter's heart and mind to be willing to be crucified, not right side up like his Savior, but upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the way of his Savior? What takes him from a coward to someone who's being crucified upside down, giving his life? For the gospel, what does it take? What does it take for the Apostle Paul to be willing to leave the Pharisaical religion and power in Judaism where he's persecuting Christians to then get his head lopped off later on in life? What does it take? Is it some trick? Is it some fraud that's going to happen? Or is it maybe, maybe because they actually saw the risen Lord Jesus? I would suggest suggest that it's because they saw the risen Lord Jesus. Nobody would do that for a big trick. But in light of this unlikelihood of the trick, other solutions have been given. And it has been hypothesized that, this is another one, that the resurrection claims can be explained by mass hallucinations. 
In this view, supposedly all the witnesses were those who thought they saw Jesus raised because there's historic evidence that people thought he raised. So maybe it was a hallucination. Maybe it was just wishful thinking. Maybe they just conjured up this whole idea uh, so that, you know, because they were really hoping that it would be true. Goodness, all those people. You think it's a likely suggestion? Maybe one person has a hallucination, but all these people at different times, and the 500 people I mentioned, and all these disciples, and then in different accounts, because Jesus was not here just for five seconds. He was here for some time after his resurrection, before he ascended. He, 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 he saw people. I mean, he had to prove to, his, this, he had to, prove to Thomas, I'm not going to believe unless I see and feel. There's an account there. There's the account of the 500 at one time. There's the account of the, the women and the disciples. And the different, just read the New Testament. Read the Gospels. There's so many different accounts. Is it possible that they all just hallucinated? Seems really, really unlikely, doesn't it? So if that doesn't work, maybe this one will. And this is actually one of the most incredible of them all um, positions or arguments. And that is what is known by the swoon theory. And that is that Jesus actually, when he was on the cross, because there's a historic figure that they knew of that died. So when he was on the cross, they say that he actually didn't die, but he survived as a man on the cross, and when he came out, you know, on the cross, beaten and bloodied and limp and everything, in reality, he was really alive. He survived, and so when he was buried, he came back alive, or so they say, he wasn't really dead. He kind of just was resuscitated there, you know, he died, and they thought he died, and then he just (gasps) gasped, and, you know, everything else kind of happened. He never fully died. He didn't rise. He just, he just basically came to his senses in the grave. But here's the thing. Are we supposed to believe that? After all the flogging that Jesus went through and the crucifixion, and even when they went to go break his legs, they saw he was dead, and they pierced him in the side, and blood and water hit the ground. Are we supposed to believe that he was really alive from all of that, and that he somehow rolled that big stone away, got past the Romans' guards who must have been sleeping or something or taking a bathroom break? Are we supposed to uh, believe that he would just go out in this beaten and bloody, defeated limping state and talk to the disciples and that everyone would be excited about this raised and victorious savior that they would give their lives for him i mean what kind of confidence would a half dead and beaten person ignite in anybody nobody would be excited about that because that is not what happened all these different suggestions are just fanciful even unbelievable And they omit clear evidence and propose unbelievable, foolish, crazy things to avoid the reality of Jesus' actual resurrection. The reality that the tomb was, in fact, empty due to a miraculous resurrection of Jesus from the grave three days later. And even with all this evidence, and even despite all the evidence, unbelievers, can you believe it, will remain hard-hearted. Maybe you're one of them here today, friend. Maybe you're a guest with us, and that's where you're at. Hard-hearted, suppressing the truth, as Roman 1 reveals, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They just don't want Jesus to be real. 
They don't want the resurrection to be true. Because if they're pressed with the reality of a choice of either submitting to God or choosing their own sin and their own path and their own way instead, they're going to choose that every single time because they don't want to submit to the Lord. They don't see it yet. They don't believe it yet. As we saw in our John 6 sermon a few weeks ago, some remain hard-hearted even with all the evidence of Jesus before them. With bad motives and unbelieving hearts or indifference or apathy, people remain even with all this wonderful evidence. But hear this, church. God can change all that. And so I ask also, is it, True, possibly, that God may be opening your eyes this morning, right now, to be drawn to the reality of the crucifixion and resurrection for you. If that's true, if you're believing now, oh, I'm so excited to be able to rejoice with you today. Through the Son of God, Jesus Christ died and raised again so that you might be able to cheer with us as well. Hear this from Scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 3 through 4. It says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Look, things may look gloomy in your life. Things may look like other things or higher uh, priorities to you, and this whole thing of the gospel and Jesus and death and resurrection may seem like way, way down on the priority list, maybe second or third or even last place. But Jesus, you see, he came at the right time. Born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law as we've been seeing in our Galatians series. So I want you to not be like my littlest infant son, Noah, who was confused over all the cheering. The evidence is before you. I want you to see the reality because too much is at stake. And I want you to be moved by the work that God may be doing in your heart right now. Because the evidence points not only to the plausibility of the resurrection but it points to the reality of the resurrection that should cause you to worship and submit your life to God because of it. So again, is God at work in your heart? Has he opened your eyes this morning? Or maybe he's opening them right now for you to see the truth of the gospel. If that's true of you, I call you to believe right now. Repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and towards the Savior, the one who forgives us of our sins. And if you believe in Christ's death and resurrection, that means, I want you to know this, it means that your sins have actually been paid for. Because if you trust this good news, it means that the Father's wrath was actually satisfied by that substitute, Jesus, on the cross, who rose victoriously three days later from the grave for you, if you believe. And what he actually did on the cross was finished. He was on the cross paying for and covering your sins. And it also means that Jesus lives to this day and that he will return one day again and he will call all the cheering ones to himself. As Don Carson put it, we look forward to life and existence beyond this grave and this life. 
It's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is beyond the here and now. And when we're wasting away or if we get dementia or if we start losing our hair, suddenly this idea of resurrection becomes looking a lot better to us and we're more interested in that kind of thing. But he says, he says our hope is not to survive 70 or 80 or 90 years, but our hope is resurrection life like Jesus. Full-bodied resurrection in the new heavens and the new earth and, we, and this should encourage each other. We should encourage ourselves with these words, Carson says. So here as we close, let's think of this real resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and this future bodily experience of joy unspeakable, of hope eternal, of glorious recreation and fun and learning and community, even in the new heavens and the new earth. Did you know that that is what the Bible pictures for us, for all of us together with the Lord in glory and with other Christians who know this wonderful celebratory truth as well? Will you be there rejoicing with cheers and laughter like my children and us after we won that race? Or will you continue to be on the outside looking in? Ask yourself that question. Because the choice is yours. I plead with you, choose truth. Choose the gospel. Choose Jesus. Choose him this morning. Choose the cheer and glory and celebration. For he is risen. He is risen, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.